0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join Dr. Jacob Koshy for his message. Good evening, everyone. (laughs) Today we're continuing our uh, Theology 101 session, and we're talking about uh, one of my favorite words in all of Christendom. It's the word grace. Grace. I just love the word grace. Grace and what it means. Sorry, what was that? You were pointing at something? Please? No. <laughs> so um, there was a big conference going on and uh, they were comparing all the various major religions of the world. And it was happening at Oxford, and all these wise scholarly people were talking about what is it that makes uh, Christianity unique? What is it that sets Christianity apart from all the other major world religions? And it was quite a spirited debate, and someone said that, you know, uh, maybe it's incarnation. And someone said, oh, but actually, there are some religions that teach incarnation. Someone said maybe it's resurrection. And uh, again, it is pointed out that there are some religions that talk about people coming back from the dead. And then the story goes on to say that as they were, all this discussion was going on, C.S. Lewis walks into the room, and he was just a few minutes before his session was due to start, and he asked, what's all this uh, talk about? What's all the rumpus going on about? And uh, they said, oh, we're dis- debating what it is that is unique about Christianity. And he said, oh, that's easy grace. He pointed out that Christianity is the only religion that claims that God's love comes free of charge with absolutely no strings attached. No other religion can make that claim. You know, Buddhism, they talk about an eightfold path to enlightenment. That's not free at all. Hindus believe in karma that your actions determine what your next life is going to be like, what you will be born as in your next life. Jews believe that you have to keep God's law and, and to be acceptable to God. And in Islam, one has to do certain actions, you know, to appease Allah, who is definitely not a God of love. But only Christianity points to a God who loves mankind unconditionally, so much so that he devised a plan To provide salvation as a totally free gift that merely has to be accepted by faith, plus nothing else, minus nothing else. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I just bless you and worship you, my Heavenly Father, because there is none like you. We sang that you are a good, good father. A father who takes us up out of the dirt and, the, and the, the disease and everything else that we have upon our lives that would make us unacceptable and distasteful. Yet you take us as we are. You wash us clean through the blood of your son. And you bring us into your fold and you hold us close to you and embrace us in a loving embrace that says I will never ever let you go because of your love for us heavenly father. I pray that you will bless these few minutes we spend looking into your word open our hearts to be amazed once again at the incredible love you have for us that father we will not ever take for granted the unconditional love and grace that has been shown to us that we will no longer be able to walk out of this church Father and live our lives the same way we have continued to live in the light of the understanding of what was done for us, the price that was paid for us and how much you have loved us Heavenly Father that Lord we cannot but live our lives to bring glory to your name when we think about how much you have loved us Lord Father Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 There are so many songs we sing about grace. We sing amazing grace. And you know, you, you just have to look at all the new songs coming out. Also, there's so many songs that are sing and talk about grace. And you know, one Greek scholar, he describes grace. It's, it says, it's hardly too much to say that the mind of God has no word uttered in itself that describes all that is in his heart more distinctly than the word grace. No other word that can describe all that is in God's heart so distinctly than the word grace. Well, what is grace? What is grace? It depends on the context in which it is used. I will talk about one context today. And my brother Rupert is going to talk next week and he'll talk about other contexts in which grace will be used. But then the Greek word for grace is charis. And charis in classical Greek means a favor that is freely done without claim or expectation or return. A favor freely done for someone without any claim or without any expectation of return. But when the Greeks used that word, it was always to describe something you would do to a friend. But Christianity takes it far beyond what the Greeks could ever talk or describe it. And when you offer that same charis to someone who is an enemy, that is something that would be unbelievable. To the Greek. But let me read a passage that I feel cannot describe grace any more eloquently than a passage from Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll read from verse 4 onwards. I love the Passion Translation. It's one of the translations I've been reading a lot more of. And I just want to read it to you in that it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Sorry, I'm reading from the NIV. (laughs) I'm going to go back to the passion. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ, Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of His grace and kindness which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in Him. Now get this part. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it is the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one, no one will ever be able to boast. For salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. Amen. What an incredible passage. You know, someone described grace using the word, the, the letters G-R-A-C, and it says God's riches, yeah, at Christ's expense. That's a nice way of, of, of describing grace. And some people talk about grace using three words, God's unmerited favor, which again is just that eloquent description that comes out of Ephesians. But I just, I just want you to, to imagine the Ephesian church You know, from all the troubles that they had been in and everything that they had come out of, you know, in being in the midst of idol worship and and the temple to Diana and all the filth of what they had been exposed to, having come out of all of that. And then Paul is now writing to them from a prison cell. He is writing to them to encourage them, to help them understand that you know, though you were in such a state that you could not be loved by any from that filth that you were in, God has called you. And God, because of his grace, has shown you mercy through the death of Jesus on the cross. And he has brought you into relationship with him. And, and when he uses that word charis, I can just imagine what's going through their minds that they would think that God in heaven, the almighty creator of everything that we see around us, could look at us and display that incredible charis, that favor to us. Even though we were enemies, even though we were so far from him, even though we deserved nothing, God showed us charis and brought us into his incredible fold, that family where he could hold on, embrace us, and show us that he truly loves us. What did we need to be saved from? You know, if you look at verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians again, I love the way he describes what we were like. You know, verses 1 to 3, it says, And his fullness fills you, even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses, It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life and we lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. This is what he has saved you from. This is what he has saved you from. And what I love about those verses 8 and 9 in Ephesians, is the fact that it is beyond doubt that there is nothing we could do in our own power to please God. There is nothing that we could have done to make us worthy to receive the love that God has shown to us. We can only say thank you because No amount of good deeds, no amount of trying to do the right thing could possibly cause God to love us or do anything for us any more than he has already done. You know, so... It says, there is nothing we could ever do in the way of works or good deeds or religious activity that could appease God's wrath against our sin. His wrath has already been appeased by the sacrifice of Christ for the sins of every person. Now, the only way that we can be saved, you know, and I want that to be so clear in our hearts. That there is a need. You know, if there's any, and and that's what I would love us to do tonight. Just think back on your own life. Think of where you were. Think of what you were like before you came into this relationship with God. Think of how far you were, the things that you had done. Some things that we cannot even begin to talk about, we, things that are, that are that we are ashamed of, things that that, that we can 't even describe things that for some of us, it would be a hard thing to talk about the things we have been through in our past lives, but from all of that, God showed us His mercy, and he brought us out of it and you know tonight, if there's anyone who has never you know really been made aware of the fact that you have a need for a savior, you have a need for a a God of love who wants to have a relationship with you. Well, it's just a beautiful thing that in this house tonight, you can pray a prayer that says, I know the filth and the past that I have been in. I know the things that I have done. I need to find rest. I need to find a place where I am accepted. In the presence of God, where I am accepted by God Almighty. And believe me, there is nothing more powerful than being able to stand here and allow the word of God to just wash over you and be told and reminded, you don't need to do anything. Just come as you are and I will just pour out my love over you and I through the blood of my son shed on the cross will wash you completely clean and bring you into fellowship with me. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. So do not think that you can trust in your own works or in your own religious duties. All you have to do is just believe in the one who sent his son to die on the cross for you. You know, to get your heads again around this concept of grace, I saw this beautiful illustration, and it's, it's written by Charles Stanley, and he's one of, my, one, one of the people I really listen to a lot because I think he, he, he's an incredible communicator. And he says, one of my more memorable seminary professors had a practical way of illustrating to his students the concept of grace. At the end of his evangelism course, he would distribute the exam... Papers with the caution to read it all the way through before beginning to answer it. So read your exam paper all the way through before you begin to answer it, right? And this caution, and so as we read the test, it became unquestionably clear to each of us that we had not studied as much as we needed to. (laughs) The further we read, the worse it became. About halfway through, audible groans could be heard throughout the lecture hall on the last page however was a note that read you have a choice you can either complete the exam as given or sign your name at the bottom and in so doing you will receive an A for this assignment (laughs) wow I wish some of my professors would have done that with me yeah So we sat there stunned. Was he serious? Just sign it and get an A? Slowly the point dawned on us and one by one we turned in our tests and silently filed out of the room. When I talked with the professor about it afterward, he shared some of the reactions he had received through the years. Some students began to take the exam without reading it all the way through. And they would sweat it out for the entire two hours of class time before reaching the last page. Others read the first two pages, became extremely angry, turned the test in blank, and stormed out of the room without signing it. They never realized what was available. And as a result, they lost out totally. One fellow, however, read the entire test, including the note at the end, but decided to take the exam anyway. He did not want any gifts. He wanted to earn his grade. And he did. He made a C+. <laughs> But he could have easily had an A. He could have easily had an A. You know, I think this story beautifully illustrates people's reaction to God's grace and God's solution to sin. Some people, we look at God's standard, his moral and ethical perfection, and we throw up our hands and we say, we surrender, it's impossible, why even bother? I could never live up to all that, you know? And others like the student who read the test through and are aware of the professor's offer anyway, but they are unwilling to simply receive the gift that is given to you and so they set up trying to get enough points so that we can earn what we want to get. Isn't that incredible? But it's so true. But let me tell you, there is nothing you or I could possibly do to earn the love of God anymore and just being as we are and being willing to accept that we need him we need his love to just flow over us and he is there ready to just pour out his love on you if only you will say yes I want you Lord I want you you know some people fear that if we walk down this path of grace and we say oh so it doesn't matter what I do You know, it doesn't matter what I do because God's going to forgive me anyway. Because God is the God of forgiveness. God is the God of love. And and so it doesn't really matter. I can just live my life the way I want to and do whatever I want. But you know what? I think that that is such a wrong way of looking at it. Because when you stand and you look at God Almighty and see that despite everything you have done wrong, He is willing to say, I'm going to forgive you. I want you to come into relationship with you. And I'm not only just going to do that, I'm going to give you my spirit. Your spirit, the spirit of God is actually going to live in you. And he is going to give you the power to live a life of victory. Then how can we then begin to start living a life that reflects the old way of living when we have made a choice, made a decision, have the spirit of God living in us and then still go back to doing the things that we used to how can that be possible that you live a life that 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 is one way one day of the week and another another day of the week that is not possible i know that's one of the things that bothers me that worries me that that i sometimes lay awake at night and struggle over that how can people of god who have experienced the love and grace of god continue to live lives that don't bring any glory to God. Have no grace in the way they speak. Have no forgiveness in their hearts. And continue to do things that still displease God knowingly. That really, really pains my heart. Because I feel that as people of God, if we have understood the, the immensity of the, of the forgiveness we have been shown. We will walk a life that will only serve to just bring glory to God. You know, I want to talk to you about the example of Noah. We say that Noah was a man who was righteous in his time. Yeah, so he lived in a in a very evil time. So Noah Noah's Ark, we all know about Noah's Ark. So Noah lived in a in a in a time and a situation which was, I think, not very dissimilar to ours. There was wickedness all around. There were people who did what they wanted. They, they shook their fist at God and they completely lived a lifestyle that was completely opposed to what God wanted. Yet in the middle of all of that lived this man, Noah. And he was righteous, it says, and he was blameless. Despite being surrounded by people who were completely opposed to what he believed or what God wanted them to do. Similar to the situation we are living in now. But see how it describes Noah in Genesis 6, 8, and 9. It says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Now we may think, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Because he was a just man perfect in his generations blameless among the people of his time and he walked with God but do you notice that it first says that he found grace in the eyes of God and then he lived a life that was blameless and righteous and I think there is a reason it's, it doesn't try to put the two together and say he was, he, he, he was a, a, uh, that he found grace in the eyes of God because of this no he found grace in the eyes of God. The grace of God filled him. Because of that, he lived a life that was righteous and blameless. I want you to think about that. Being surrounded by a world that is totally against what everything you believe in. And that's the kind of world we live in today. You look at the news. You look at the people around you at work. The things people say. The things, things people talk about. Uh, <laughs> even I, I love politics in the U.S. because, because it is such a reflection of, of good versus bad, of, of God people versus people who are opposed to God in some of the decisions that are taken there. And, and if you look below the surface of what you see, there is such a powerful battle going on between evil and good. And it's just the same all over the world. But I want you to know that you know we have been called to live a life that is righteous and blameless because of the grace that has been shown to us. So we can, we can. If Noah could do it in his time, we have so much more. We have the Holy Spirit living in us that should give us the ability to live a righteous, blameless life because of the grace that has been shown to us. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet, please. We see so many incredible examples of the grace that Jesus showed to people while he was on the earth. You know, the grace that he showed to the widow of nine as she came out of the town with her dead son and as they were going towards the burial plot to bury the son and the woman crying bitterly knowing what her future held not just because she had lost the love of her life, her only son but because she knew that as a result of the death of that son her future essentially was completely lost. That she would now go into a future filled with poverty where she would be uh, very likely abused and where she would no longer be able to live the way she would have liked to live. A life essentially that was completely going to be disregarded and completely uh, different to anything she could have possibly imagined. A life of despair is what she was going to live in. And yet Jesus, knowing the pain in that widow's heart, walks up there and he stops that funeral procession and he raises the son from dead. Jesus, who saw the lepers and understood that these men who had no hope in society of ever living a normal life, showed grace to them. Where no one would come close to them, he reached out and he actually touched lepers. When he went to the tax collector's, when he went to people like Zacchaeus, who was despised by his own people because he, he took money from his own people and gave it to the Roman government, despised by his own people, and yet Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I am coming to your house tonight, and I will eat with you. Again and again, while he was on the cross, in his pain and agony, with the two thieves on either side, Taunting him, and yet when one of the thieves, who very rightly needed a wo- should have been executed because of the crimes he had committed, when he stands there, when he is crying and he says, "Remember me, Lord, when you enter your gl- glory," and Jesus turns to him and he says, "My son, today you will be with me in paradise." Again and again, we see those incredible. Expressions of the grace of God demonstrated through Jesus to people on the earth. As we close our eyes, I want you to think about the ways Jesus has demonstrated his grace toward you. His unmerited, the unmerited favor of God. The favor that we did not deserve. God has just demonstrated it to us. He has shown it to us. He has described it to us by sending the one he loved. And the most beautiful verse in all scripture that describes the love of the Father when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. (laughs) That is what our God has done for us. Because he loved us so much. Because he loved me so much. That description describes me. Of how much my heavenly father loved me. Enough to send his son to die on the cross for me. We have been saved by grace. And by grace alone. And we need to walk out of here in the knowledge that because we have been saved by grace, we have an incredible responsibility to live as people who demonstrate the grace of God in our lives and to other people as well. Heavenly Father, I am just in awe of your love for us. I am in awe of your love. You know, if there's anyone here tonight, as we have our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. You know, I don't want you to leave here without the opportunity to say, yes, I am tired of the life I live. I am tired of running. I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of trying to do the best I can. And yet I feel like I'm getting nowhere. Nothing I do ever seems to be enough I have despair around me and I don't have a fulfilled life. Tonight that can all change. If you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that's what the word of God says, that Jesus Christ is Lord. tonight you can enter into relationship with the Heavenly Father who created all that we see around us and all of you at the universe. You can enter into relationship with Him through His Son. So if there's anyone here with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if there's anyone, if you would just raise your hand and I would love to be able to pray with you and just share a little bit more with you maybe afterwards about what this decision means. But is there anyone here tonight? who has never made that decision, you think tonight's the night I would like to make that decision. Don't leave without making that decision. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you because as we stand in your presence this evening, Lord, we are a a group of people who have come under the grace of God We have experienced what it means to walk under the anointing of the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. And Heavenly Father, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters and I pray that Father, when we walk out of here, we will walk out of here with a determination in our hearts. That Father, the grace of God that has filled our hearts, the grace of God that allowed us to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God will cause us to step out of here with our heads held high father will cause us to step out of here with a a renewed understanding of who we are in you a renewed understanding of how much you loved us and a renewed understanding of how much you expect us to live our lives that will bring glory to your name that we will live our lives as men and women of God who will bring the very kingdom of God who will bring the very nature of God into our places of work, into our families, into the people we speak with, into the people we come into relationship with, that when they relate to us, they will see the love of God in our lives. Father in heaven, I just want to bless my brothers and sisters. May we continue to be surrounded by the power of your spirit. That, Father, in everything we do, wherever we go, Father, Lord, we will continue to be led by your spirit to make the right choices. In the things we get involved with, in the people we will relate to, and in the kinds of things that we are going to uh, invest our lives in, Father that we will make the right choices, Father, led by your Spirit, that we may bring glory to your name. So, my Father, I want to thank you again, dear Lord, for this time we have spent in your presence. May you go with us, Father, and bless us even through the weekend. And when we come together on Sunday, I pray that it will be a time where we will come together, Father, eager, anticipating a time where we will come into worship and we will glorify your name. Father, I thank you again for this time. Bless us as we leave now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.